Highland Baptist Church. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, please open with us to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 11. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 11. We will go to the Lord again in prayer, and then we will read these first 11 verses and uh, uh, get into the message. But let's pray and seek the Lord. Our Father, in Jesus' name, just as we were singing, please open the word to us. Send your Holy Spirit into us that we might, that he might open our eyes and grant that we might see your truth, that we might be enlightened in the truth of your word, and that your word might do its transforming work in us. Oh, I pray that our hearts would enter into the, uh, the excitement and the joy that was in the hearts of many as they proclaimed Jesus, the Son of David. Well, I pray that our hearts would be like that in this service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read the first 11 verses, and then we'll go back through a little slower, but uh, let's just read these verses because they are so powerful and such beautiful things. And, and you know, this is uh, one of the uh, uh, things that every one of the Gospels uh, uh, records. You know, many things that we have studied uh, may be in uh, Matthew and they may be in Luke as well as Mark, but uh, some of the things that we've studied are not in the Gospel of John. John is taking a different course, presenting Jesus in a, a divine light. He wants us to see Jesus as the Son of God, and Mark wants us to see Jesus as God's suffering servant. And so they're going at uh, this revelation of Jesus in, from different aspects, of course, Matthew wants us to see him as the uh, fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And uh, so these are uh, the perspectives that these Gospels uh, uh, take in revealing the nature of Jesus to us. But this is one of those passages that is repeated in all four Gospels, the uh, and it's called, it's even the heading in my Bible, is the triumphal entry. And uh, I don't know if that is actually a good heading for it uh, at all, but let's read it and just see. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. 
and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, in uh, Mark's account of uh, Jesus' uh, entry into Jerusalem, Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem, he brings us straight from Jericho into Jerusalem. However, it's uh, obvious that there's a gap in the time. There's some other things that have happened during this time. And, uh, and so it's not just that Jesus left Jericho and came straight to Jerusalem. There's other things that have taken place. How much time passed between the events surrounding the arrival of the king and the things recorded? Uh, well, I, uh, I messed, missed something there. Uh, John fills in some of these things that we uh, that we don't see in the Gospel of Mark in his account. And so how much time passed between these events surrounding the arrival of Jesus and the things recorded by John, we don't know. But John does supply some very important details that have a great bearing, a great emphasis on what we're studying tonight. At some point, shortly before this event, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. This took place during this time frame. And, uh, and so when uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter number 11, you know, we've talked about that a lot in our studies. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. There's just so much rich content there. But uh, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, rather than uh, convincing all the people that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was indeed the one that they'd been looking for, the king of the Jews, this, the, uh, the leaders of the Jews were infuriated. <laughs> they got angry. Can you imagine? 
that he raised someone from the dead and when they should have been standing in breathless awe at the mighty power of God. Can you imagine what it would be like to see someone raise a dead body? Raise someone back to life that had been dead? And this was something that was witnessed by a number of people, all the people that were there with Martha and Mary mourning, and then they started spreading it out uh, to others. And as a matter of fact, some that were there, rather than getting in on the celebration, went running as fast as they could to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done. And so this was a, uh, uh, it's a strange thing. Can you imagine being so blind that you would be angry, that you would be so spiritually blind that you would be angry when something good happens to people? <laughs> they did the same thing when Jesus healed people, right? You did it on the Sabbath, so... You, you, you must be a bad guy. They were infuriated. And they became determined because he raised Lazarus from the dead. They became determined that they were going to put him to death. They put a hit out on him. They said, look at, uh, we can look at John chapter 11 if you don't, uh, if you don't mind. John chapter 11 in verse number 45, look at what it says. Many of the Jews, this is the uh, latter part of the chapter now where Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year said unto them you know nothing at all nor do you understand that it is better for you <coughs> that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish he did not say this of his own accord but being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. So, you remember when we talked about Jesus heading for Jerusalem and the disciples were... Uh, Jesus is walking out front and all these people are following him and they don't understand what he said about being put to death. But then it said, and they were afraid. Well, here's probably why they're nervous because they know that there has uh, been a wanted poster uh, put out. So, uh, well, I, that's not really what happened, but these were 
looking for Jesus. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So this is, uh, this is what's going on here. Jesus has infuriated them simply by raising Lazarus from the dead. And not only were they angry at Jesus for raising Lazarus to the dead, they hated Lazarus too because Jesus raised him from the dead. Because he had the audacity to be raised from the dead. And they were angry with him. They hated him because of it. And so in chapter 12, just uh, uh, the next chapter, in verse 9, listen to what it says. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans uh, to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing on Jesus. So this is, uh, this is the climate that is going on here. And, uh, and so Jesus is... Uh, coming to Jerusalem, and this is Passover week. This is the beginning of the week in which he will be crucified. He is the Messiah that is making his appearance. He is arriving right on time. I read uh, years ago a, uh, a study by Sir uh, Robert Anderson, where he had it, uh, I mean, he had it worked out to the very day, the very day Jesus was supposed to ride into Jerusalem, the very day Messiah was supposed to come into Jerusalem, Jesus arrived on that donkey. And so I want us to look at this uh, uh, under three headings. First of all, let's just see what happened. And uh, it's very easy. We will walk through the scriptures once again. And then we want to see uh, how it happened. And then we want to see why it happened. Okay? So first of all, what happened? Well, on uh, uh, this uh, beginning of Passover week, possibly on Sunday, MacArthur, I believe, thinks it was Monday, but... Uh, Sunday or Monday, here comes Jesus into Jerusalem and he uh, uh, tells his disciples as they get to the outskirts of Jerusalem to uh, two little villages that are pretty close together on the east side of Jerusalem on the slopes of the uh, Mount of Olives 
Bethpage and Bethany, and he says to his two of his disciples, go into the village, and there'll be a, a colt, a donkey, tied at a door, and uh, you get it, untie it, and bring it to me, and if the uh, owners or anyone ask you what you're doing taking the colt, tell them the Lord, the curios, the master, the owner <laughs> has need of him and they will let you bring him. And so that's exactly what they did. They went into the village. Now, they haven't been there. They, <laughs> Jesus is just telling them this from outside the village, they walk in, find it exactly as Jesus has said, and they take the coat. Now, uh, Matthew makes it even a little clearer. Uh, he says that there is a, a, a donkey. Uh, I'm using ESV English, not King James English, okay? There's a donkey and its foal that are tied there and bring them. And so he uses the foal, he uses the, the little donkey and not the mama donkey. And so this is, uh, this is just exactly like Jesus said it would be, and they did it. And uh, so they bring it to him, and uh, some of those standing uh, there said to him, what are you doing? They uh, untying the coat, and they said, uh, Jesus uh, has need of him, or the Lord has need of him. And they brought the coat to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks. So now, I want you to get this picture here. I want you to see the, uh, the crowd. I want you to feel the emotion and everything that's going on, because this is Passover week. Passover week is... Uh, for Israel at that time was like a combination of Christmas, the 4th of July, and Easter all rolled into one. I mean, it's a big celebration, right? It's, a, it's the biggest celebration of the year. As a matter of fact, the uh, people that I've read behind say that uh, uh, during the week of Passover, that the population of Jerusalem, tiny Jerusalem, could swell to over 2.6 million people. That's a lot of people. And Jesus is coming in now from uh, uh, Jericho and from uh, uh, Bethany and from the area around there where he has just raised someone from the dead. And there's a huge multitude that have been following him people that he has healed along the way, people out of whom he's cast out demons. There's a huge multitude following him as he uh, comes. And so he gets on the donkey and these people are so overcome and probably some of them understand the symbolism of that because he is coming into Jerusalem just like the prophet said their king would come. And so they start throwing their cloaks in the street. They start putting palm branches on the street and, and uh, leafy branches on the street. And if you go back to, uh, 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 was it 2 Kings? 
I wrote it down here. Yeah, 2 Kings, you'll find that, uh, that that's what they did when uh, uh, Jehu was, was anointed king. They threw their garments down uh, for him to walk on. And so this is a declaration of the kingship of Jesus. And so they, uh, they start putting their cloaks on the street. Jesus is riding in as the king. And uh, they start shouting. And they start proclaiming. And they say several different things. He said, and those who went before and those who followed. So this is a, a big multitude. Were shouting. Not whispering, not murmuring, not mumbling, but shouting, Hosanna. Now, I've always thought that the word Hosanna was a word of praise, but actually, the word of Hosanna means God save. Save now. <laughs> and so they are saying, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Do you see the connection they're making? They see that there is something very significant about this act. And they see that Jesus is the son of David, that he is bringing the kingdom of our father David. And again, they cry, save now in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, went out to Bethany with the twelve. With the twelve. What happened? <laughs> what happened to the celebration? Where's the crowd? What's happened now? He, he goes into the temple. And he looks around. And he goes to Bethany. Well this is the scene. That uh, we are looking at. As we look at these verses, Jesus has come riding on a donkey. So that's what happened. Now, here's how it happened. It happened solely and completely by the providence of God. Oh, I just, I was just amazed as I sat and meditated on this and thought about Jesus saying to two of his disciples, go into that village and when you get in, just as you go into the village, you're going to see a donkey and its foal tied to a door, get them and bring them to me. And they went and it was exactly as he said. Oh, listen, God is, I mean, in order to have those donkeys, in order for it to be like it had to be, Jesus could have walked into the village and zap, there's a donkey. 
He could have done it. He had the power. God could have done it that way. They could have done some fantastic miracle. But what we see is that he was working in and through and by the hands of men. In the circumstances of life, in everyday life, this owner of the donkey and the little colt went out to get it that morning and he had no idea that the reason he was taking it to town with him was because of the divine providence of God, that he was fulfilling an ancient prophecy that had been made back in the book of Zechariah. He had no idea that morning that his little donkey, his that little foal that had been delivered by that mother donkey would be the one that would carry the Messiah into Jerusalem as he is revealed as king. And the, the providence of God is just such a, an amazing thing if, if we think about it. One of the, when we talk about providence, we always go back to Joseph, don't we? As Art mentioned Joseph this morning, or was it Russ? One of them mentioned Joseph this morning. But uh, 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 Joseph is such a picture of the providence of God. And all that uh, happened to him... Uh, as it was said, it was just terrible, terrible things that happened to him. But what God was doing was bringing him to a place in the kingdom of Egypt where he could save alive the remnant of Israel. And it was the and so when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they say, hey, you know, you're probably going to kill us now. And he said, no, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So that's the picture, isn't it? Of uh, the perfect picture of the providence of God. But I've got another one that you never hear anybody talk about. You probably have, but uh, you never hear anybody talk about this picture of providence back in 2 Kings. You remember in 2 Kings when Elijah, Elisha, chapter number 4, he uh, keeps passing by this uh, Shunammite woman's house and she convinces her husband that they should build him a chamber with a table and a stool and a bed and, and uh, a candle and all those kind of things. And, and so... Uh, he starts stopping there and uh, he uh, asks her what he can do. Ends up, uh, uh, she ends up having a son miraculously. God gives her uh, that blessing. And then the child dies. And Elijah later raises the child, or Elisha, excuse me, raises the child uh, from the dead, right? You remember that story? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, not long after that, there is a, uh, a siege by the Assyrians and the place that everybody's starving to death. And Elisha had told this lady to leave. You need to get out and go somewhere where you can uh, uh, 
can prosper because uh, there's going to be a famine here. There's going to be some bad times here. And, uh, and you just need to go. And so she listened to what the man of God said. And she went and stayed about uh, seven years or something like that until that was all over. And then she came back. And she was going to go to the king and ask the king. You read it. I'll, I'll just tell you the story. You, uh, and you can read it for yourself. It's such a wonderful thing. But she comes back. To ask the king to restore her all of her property. And when she gets there, you wouldn't believe it, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, was there. And the king had asked him to tell him all the wonderful things that Elisha had done. And he was telling him all about what Elisha had done. And as he was telling him the part about him raising that little boy from the dead, she showed up in the court with her son asking for her property back. And Gehazi said, there she is right there. That's the woman and that's her son. And the king says, come in here. And she told him the story and he said, he called one of his servants and he gave that servant to her and said, I want you to restore to her her property and everything, all the produce, all the profit of it that it made from the time she left until this day. The providence of God. He's involved. He's working. In everything. And he was working in everything that took place. As we have watched him coming up to Jerusalem, we have seen all these things fall into place. We've seen all these circumstances. We've seen the healings and the interactions with people that take place. That, and they just seem to illustrate the teaching that he's just been giving to the disciples. You think it's by accident? Oh no. The providence of God. Well, and then let's think about why. Why it happened just this way. Why did it come to pass just this way? Well, the first reason why it had to work out just the way it did was so that prophecy could be fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 9, you've all heard this before, but I'll read it anyway because, because we ought to. Zechariah chapter 9, and uh, I believe it's verse 9, isn't it? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A prophecy. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
This is exactly what's happening. The Lord whom they sought was suddenly coming to his temple. And uh, uh, this is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. According to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact, the exact stamp of his image. It's, he's the glory, the beauty of God. The glory of God had departed from the temple. Uh, R.C. Sproul puts it at 586 B.C. It had departed from the temple. And you can read about it in the uh, book of uh, uh, the book of Ezekiel, and it goes from chapter eight, step by step, through chapter eleven, step by step. The glory of God moves from the altar; it moves to the gate; it moves to the gate of the city; it moves to uh, the Mount of Olives. And the glory of God has departed through the east gate out to the Mount of Olives. But this day, the glory of God, the Messiah, Jesus, rides that donkey right down the slope of the Mount of Olives, right through the eastern gate and straight to the temple. That's good stuff, isn't it? It's just, it's just good stuff. Well, that's one of the reasons why it had to be done exactly that way. Another reason why it had to be done exactly that way is uh, so that he could actually complete his mission. Remember what we talked about? Remember what we talked about earlier, how that they had uh, uh, put out a hit on him? They had, they had told everybody, if you see him, let us know because we're going to get him. And they weren't just going to arrest him. Their goal was to kill him. They wanted to put him to death. They wanted to put Lazarus to death. So this was, this was something that they wanted to do. And if Jesus had just come in with his 12 disciples and just come quietly in, that's exactly what might have happened. They might have been able to just come up and grab him and take him while nobody else was any the wiser and, uh, and, and done it all in the cloak of secrecy. But Jesus did it this way. Jesus did it this way with this huge multitude. And they're shouting, Hosanna, glory to God. They're shouting, glory to him, or, or blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, he that comes in the kingdom of our father David, they're shouting like this. And it's a great uh, uh, noise and a great crowd around him. And they can't go up and arrest him quietly. All they can do is one of the gospel writers said, they, they told him, make these people shut up. <laughs> Would you quieten them down? And he said, if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. Mm -hmm. And it's true, isn't it? Because this is not just an everyday happenstance. This is the one who stepped down from heaven. Mm -hmm. He came from heaven, the divine, holy, eternal son of God who became flesh. And he presented himself to his people in Israel. 
Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. So this was to make it possible. And, and so now you notice, you notice now he's not telling anybody, don't say, don't say anything about who I am. He's not telling anybody to hold their peace. He's not, he didn't tell Bartimaeus when he healed Bartimaeus in chapter uh, 10. Remember? He didn't tell him, don't go tell anybody. You see, he's ready to reveal himself. So, and then here's another reason why it had to be done just the way it was. Because... God is worthy to be praised. Jesus is worthy to be praised. And God does all that he does to bring praise from the heart and lips of his people to his name. And you might say, well, that's, that's mighty self-centered of God and you would be right. It's all right for God to be self-centered though. The reason it's wrong for me to be self-centered and for you to be self-centered is because we're nothing. We're, we're as corrupt and sinful as they come. But God is completely holy and completely perfect. And His glory is the best thing that you and I can enjoy and experience in this world. And so it's good for God to say, I want everything that has breath to praise me. The best thing can happen to me is to just get into his presence and behold his beauty and just stay there for a while and bask in it. It's the best thing for all of us. And then, lastly, and I'm getting through a little earlier than I expected, but the reason it had to be done just like this is because this depicts the nature of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom... Oh, there's going to be a time when he's not on a donkey. There's going to be a time when he is will not wear a crown of thorns. There's going to be a time when... They won't stop the praises. Mm -hmm. But this time, while the kingdom is being presented on earth, he's showing it as a kingdom that is founded, led, and advanced mm -hmm. by the lowly, mm -hmm. by the humble. He didn't come that time on a stallion. He did not come with military uh, trapments. He came only on a coat, on a donkey, mm -hmm. in humility. Mm -hmm. And those who follow him will follow him in humility. Those who serve him must serve him in humility. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much, uh, so much pride in our lives, so much pride in my life that uh, I have to battle it all the time. And, and you'd say, well, what do you got to be? I agree. They, I don't have anything to be proud of. Mm -hmm. But it's a battle. It's a constant battle. Mm -hmm. 
pride is in our nature and what, what pride is going to do to us, it's going to corrupt us. It's the heart and the root and even the fruit of all sin. It's corruption. And we need to seek after humility. We need to cry out after humility. We need to see him as he is and ourselves as we are. And bow before him. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd take these thoughts. I hope you can use them and, and arrange them and make, make them food for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.